I'll start by saying a lot of people don't like half the decisions I make. What are your parents' opinions on that? Do you butt and heads I, with them because of that? They don't. They don't. They don't butt heads with me no more. I've 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 proven my myself enough. Welcome to the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast. I'm your host Billy Garton Jr., a 21-year-old entrepreneur and professional athlete. On this podcast, we'll be interviewing some of the most successful world leaders in their space in both business and sport. People who've amassed success, wealth, abundance, and most importantly, happiness, often after fighting incredible adversity. The hope is that through this podcast, we're not just going to inspire you or motivate you, but rather through the tips and hints that my guests share, spur you into action. If you're young and motivated, join me on this journey as we ignite the passion through some of the world's most inspiring stories. You know, when you wake up every day knowing exactly what you're striving for, nothing can stop you. Starting out my podcast, it was fundamental to me that I make it as professional as possible. And I could not do that without the help of podcast backdrops. Make sure you check out podcast backdrops on Instagram and put in the code BillyGarten to receive a special discount. Now let's dive into the episode. Small, consistent actions. I'm sure you've heard that saying before. You may have heard it many times before. But for our guest today, those three words changed his life in not a small matter, but in a very, very, very large way. Think about those three words as we go through this conversation with Sam Demmer. Sam is a 20-year-old entrepreneur, a youth coach, a keynote speaker. He's the co-founder of an incredible company called Pit Waste. He's the creator of High Performance Student. He's delivered two TEDx talks. And he's the youngest member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers at 20 years old. What an inspirational man. I can't wait for this conversation. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Billy, Billy, I'm super honored to be here, man. We have so much in common and I know this conversation is going to take many, many amazing turns. So I'm super excited. Incredible. Well, I am fascinated, Sam, by your journey as an athlete. I'm an athlete. You obviously had aspirations to be a professional athlete. I'm fascinated not just by your pursuance of your goals, but the mindset that it takes to try to achieve those um, and the lessons that you can gain from being an athlete in how that can lead to the rest of your life. And so if that's okay with you, I want to take it back, way back to to where it all started as a, as a soccer player, as a, young, as a young boy. Yeah, so I'm half Italian, half Greek. The love and passion for soccer started on my family room couch not on the soccer field not on the pitch it was with family functions where we'd finish eating dinner and we'd go sit on the couch to watch different games from different leagues mostly mostly Serie A because I'm Italian but <laughs> we would watch all different types of games I, I love Juve, but <laughs> we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> hey I'm loving it as well as long as you're supporting Ronaldo then I'm all good but continue yeah, I, I saw your dad's post about him with his <laughs> with his five foot header. He's the goat, right? <laughs> the goat, man. The goat. So it started on the couch. And as I grew up, like some of the most memorable moments for me was watching World Cup games when Italy used to contend for the cup. <laughs> and I say used to very used to. upsettingly. But those moments are what really built my passion for sports, specifically soccer. Uh, unlike you, my dad growing up was a hockey player. Took right. it very far. He played in Europe. It's not obviously as big over there as it is here in North America. But he played hockey, although I growing up fell in love with soccer. He tried putting me in skates. I would cry. <laughs> I did not want to do it. <laughs> um, by the age of six, I started playing. By the age of 13, I was taking it extremely serious. Uh, so much so that I moved to Italy for six months when I was 13. Wow. And I was playing with a team in Serie B uh, called Trapani. Yeah. And I was basically living with 25 international athletes before that experience, traveling around Italy, watching pro teams play, practicing two, three hours every single day. You would know the routine, right? Absolutely. 
And I fell in love with it so much. Unfortunately, I was not at a stage where anyone wanted to pick me up and sign me. So I had to fly back home to Canada and it seemed like a negative result, but the reality was I was just given this gift, this opportunity to be surrounded by pro soccer for, for six months where back home in North America, the sport is hockey. Yeah. So I got to see what you and your dad and everyone that just revered soccer in Europe would be doing every single day. And I made a promise to myself that as I grow up, as I go from the age of 13 to the age of you know 25, that's what I thought back then, I knew exactly what I had to do because I saw all, all these people doing it. This is how they do it at the highest level. Yeah. And so came home, trained my ass off, sacrificed everything in my life if it didn't support soccer, didn't drink, didn't party, had no relationships in high school, just got great grades and would train and practice. By the age of 16, I had my first uh, serious injury and then it just it just spiraled on from there. But we can dig into that a little bit later, but that's really where the passion for sports started on, on the living room couch. That's unbelievable. We have so much to talk about here because that's where it started for me. I feel I can resonate so much with the not drinking culture, with the with the putting everything into wanting to achieve your dream, I can resonate so much to that. Now that you've said that, I want to touch a little bit deeper on that. Was that hard for you? Not no, getting man. into the drinking culture, not getting into the partying culture. So I'm so glad you've said no. Go it's more like, deeply into that. I'm very practical and you'll find I'm very practical as you ask me questions, vice versa, as I question you. I asked myself, where do I want to go in my life? And the answer was, I want to be a pro soccer player. Then every decision I would make, before I make the decision, I would ask myself, is this going to help me or is it going to hinder me? And if it's not going to help me, right, if the, if the gain to do this thing does not equal the, the, I guess if the, if the, if the pain of not doing this thing is going to help me reach my final destination and end goal, I'll take the pain any day, right? Because at the end of the day, I have a vision for my life and I know that if it's not going to happen, it's only going to be by my own results, my own actions. So one, I looked at it practically. I said, you know what? Uh, I can't drink because, you know, if I want to be a pro soccer player, it's not going to help me. Two, I looked at it again, practically from a health standpoint. Drinking has no positive effect on your body, on your mind, on your brain, on any aspect of your actual physical being. So why should I do it? Yeah, once in a while here and there, I'll crack a beer, have a drink with my, with my buddies or yeah. go to a little like, you know, place, have lunch and drink a beer or two. But I wouldn't, I would never get drunk. The only time I ever got drunk, and I'll share this publicly, a vulnerable moment, was after having a knee surgery, flying to Florida, watching my entire team play in the biggest tournament in the U.S. called the Disney Cup. My whole starting lineup got full ride Division One scholarships, and I was injured sitting on the bench at New Year's Eve. And we went out for New Year's Eve, and I drank way too much. <laughs> uh, it's actually a funny story. We could talk about it. We but... will, definitely. Yeah, you but live and you learn that way. You live and you learn. I think that's it, so incredible. You you need those everyone. experiences to learn. But deep down, the root of you was from day one, regardless of whether it be in athletics, whether that be in entrepreneurship, was built on the passion to to succeed and do everything at all costs to achieve that success. Did you have an influence, Sam, in terms of was it your father? Obviously, you said he played hockey. Was there someone around you that influenced your behavior? Yeah. So by the age of 15, so I was very highly motivated from the age of about 10 years old when I started taking it really serious. By the age of 15, though, specifically, I met a man named Nishobo, Olani Soberman, and he runs a podcast called the Sports Motivation Podcast. I've heard of it. listened to you on his podcast on my way here, not even realizing that you'd been on it. And I've listened to that man's podcast for three years. So that's incredible to see that you were on it as well. So fun fact, I was actually his first ever intern when he started the show. So I'm 20 now. He started it five years ago. When I was 15, I just joined his newsletter when he was just creating the podcast. And he sent out an email. And the email said, if you do some menial daily tasks for me, in exchange, I will mentor you. And I thought, you know what? This guy is not a pro soccer player, but he played in the NFL. Pro sports is pro sports. It's more so about a mentality. Yeah, I train differently, but it's, it's the mentality that I'm Absolutely. after. And so I filled it out and I was like, I'm applying for this. I'm 15 years old. I'm applying to be his intern. I'm going to work for him. He calls me up. We have a Zoom call and 
He's like, man, I love your energy. Most of the people doing this are a lot older than you, but let's go for it. I literally got on a call two, three times a week for about a year and a half with people that were 30 years old and I would go for him. I would make sales calls. I would fill Excel documents with different influencers trying to find their information so he could reach out to them to have them on his podcast. Did all this random crap in exchange two, three times a week, he'd call me. And I did it for about a year until I was 16, 16 and a half. I said, Hey man, I got to chase my own dream now, but I really appreciate the support. And just recently we've reconnected and now I'm going through his, his life's work, which is called the killer instinct program. But to answer your question, that was probably the biggest influence on me. I haven't missed the episode since I was 15 years old. And if I did, I went back and re-listened to it. What did he so, teach you? Too much. I mean, I can't even boil it down to a principle because every episode addresses a totally different problem for an athlete, but it's not even an athletic podcast. It's geared towards athletes, but it applies to everyone. If I could boil down his entire learnings and teachings into one principle or one point, it would be to, to be yourself, be authentically yourself. His whole brand is about the fact that every single one of us is created differently. So express yourself authentically, but from a mindset side of things, it's if you want to be the greatest in the world, place pressure on yourself and take full responsibility for your actions. That's it. That's like the premise of almost every single episode he has. The ones that he uses as reality checks to call you out, put, they place pressure on yourself to change. When he, when he talks about an episode and gives you an idea on something that you should be doing that you're not doing right now, it puts pressure on you to start doing that thing for him. His key words are literally pressure, um, pressure, or if it's not pressure, it's something about taking responsibility. So where have you been able to apply pressure to your life? I'm curious, very curious here, because I think that's such a cool statement and not one that many people touch on, by the way, forcing pressure into your life in order to create massive change. Yep. Where have yeah. you been able to, to use those lessons? The biggest one for me right now is financially. So I live at home still. I haven't moved out. I'm 20 years old. Most people are already gone from their homes. I took a very different unconventional path, didn't go to university, dropped out, and I've been building my business since. I've done fairly well, but one thing that I've done to put pressure on myself to one, move out and actually be able to just excel outside of my own house is pay all my bills. So I pay for everything that I, that I do in my house. My dad doesn't pay for, they don't pay for my phone. They don't pay for my car insurance anymore. They don't pay for my gas. I don't pay for my groceries. I do my own, like everything that I would do if I live by myself, I do except for once in a while I eat my mom's dinner or the lunch she makes. Mm -hmm. I do my own laundry. I do everything. So one piece of pressure is paying all my bills because I find if you still live at home, but you don't do those things, then you're never ever going to take the responsibility to do those things. And maybe that's simple for some people, but that's like one piece of pressure. The other types of pressure I've placed on myself are making big investments in coaching. So I paid $27,000 for a coach this year. And this is during COVID. Like I, I basically took almost all the income, almost all the income I made in my first year speaking and said, Hey, Hey dude, I found this one guy that I really liked and respected. And I, I had many previous conversations with for free. He just was happy to hop on a call for hours and just share stuff with me. He used to be a closing sales speaker for Tony Robbins. He said, Hey man. Um, I said, Hey man, like I really enjoy your stuff. Can we chat? I'm looking for a business coach. We talked. He was a high expensive price coach. And I told myself mentally, you know what? Everyone in my life is going to think I'm crazy. And they all do to this day. They think I'm absolutely insane for doing that. But that making that investment, whether or not this guy actually delivers or not, you know how much pressure it puts on myself to make this investment worth it? A huge amount. So big financial investments. Um, the other, yeah, those are the main, I think that those are the main two. No, I think that's unbelievable. I think people fail to realize that massively that when you put that financial, especially financial pressure on yourself, it forces you to find ways that you never thought possible to, to make that financial, to make the, sorry, to make those financials up. And I think some way I can relate to that is, is in my, in my digital marketing agency, I, <laughs> I've had times where you get in such a comfort zone and you find so many comfort levels because of the current client base you have. And then you lose a client and it's like, fuck, what do I do now? And that's where the pressure comes, but it's not forced pressure. It's pressure that's come because you've gotten, you've become so comfortable in the situation mm -hmm. you're in. And so for me, that's a massive lesson that I could learn, I think is putting pressure on yourself financially to, to make it up. What did you, I'm curious as, as to what your, your parents said about that. You said a lot of people, didn't like the decision you made. What are your parents' opinions on that? 
I'll start by saying a lot of people don't like half the decisions I make and I can get into that later, but my mom for at least three weeks was begging me to ask Chris to do monthly installments and to get the money back and to renegotiate and all this stuff. And I basically just said, Hey, look, you didn't make this investment. It's not your money. So don't, don't worry about it. You know, it's, there's not, it's none of your business. Don't worry about it. Do you bought heads with them because of that? They don't, they don't, they don't butt heads me no more. I've, I've, I've proven my myself enough. I always tell people, if your parents are disagreeing with you, you have a couple options. One, you leave the house and become self-sufficient because they can't tell you to do what you want to do anymore. Or two, get enough results. So every time they get mad at you, you just say, look at this, like $2,000 check came in the mail. Hey mom, check this out. You know, because most of the time results will, will, will get people to stop talking. Although I'm fortunate enough that my parents don't, they don't get too up in my business or too upset with my decisions anymore, but they did it in the early days before I didn't have any results for sure. Right. So yeah. let's take it back a little bit then. You're still at a time where soccer, professional soccer is, is a big goal of yours. For everybody listening, touch on where that forced you to change. Mm-hmm. I'm 17 sitting on the bench in Florida. My whole team's getting full ride scholarships. I just underwent a injury one week before this showcase after going on my official visit to Memphis university, which is a division one school. And it was ranked 80th out of the 200 division one schools in the U S and for anyone listening, who's not sure what that is. Division one is the highest level of soccer in the U S aside from professional Absolutely. and university. And there's thousands of schools in the States. And it's a very, very reputable achievement to, to play division one soccer, by the way, this yeah. isn't a light, light achievement to play division one soccer for many people is the be all and end all. So yeah, most of the, then, then from there it's pro and only 0.04% go. So yeah. it's a, it's a tough go. And I'm leaving for this tournament now in Florida, but I injured myself five days before the trip. I end up tearing the meniscus in my left knee. I'm sitting on the bench. My entire team gets full ride scholarships. And I'll actually tell you now, just about what five months ago, the MLS draft happened four or five months ago, four of my teammates in the starting lineup all signed pro in the MLS. We have, we have Ryan Raposo with Vancouver Whitecaps. We have one guy playing right back at TFC. Two of my players are also in the U S with two different, two different clubs. So it was a, it was a competitive club. We made some really good players, but the dream didn't stop there. After the initial surgery, I flew back home after Florida, the showcase, I had the, the, the surgery all done. I got back into it. Seven months later, I tore the meniscus in my left knee a second time. And I went back in same doctor had a second surgery. And I thought, you know what, this is my last shot. I took a fifth year of high school, which is known as grade 13 in, in Canada. And I ended up tearing it eight months later in my right knee. I didn't operate on the right knee. I also have a torn labrum in my right hip, which is something that happened when I was 15. And I asked myself, you know, if I have this surgery on my right knee, I will have in total, I would have had four surgeries, two on my left knee, one on my right knee, one on my right hip. I've broken my ankles, both of them. And so I asked myself at that point in time at the age of 18, if I continue doing this, will I be able to have a family? Will I be able to function? Will I be healthy and, and happy? And I couldn't answer the question. The doctor told me he couldn't tell me whether or not I'd be able to, you know, carry my kids when I grow older. And so I just decided to to stop playing. That was the real moment when the pressure came on me at the age of 18 to shift and find something new. What did that do for your mental state? What did that do for that? Because I, from personal experience, have gone through massive anxiety all throughout my years. I've gone through massive, at times, depression. It felt like, I'm sure so many other people have, but they don't understand that when you've set your dreams and set your life up without ever thinking about anything else, to have that all taken away like that and for something that it's not your own conscious decision, it's for something completely out of your control, I'm sure that must have had a massive mental toll on you. It's interesting. I have a theory that every athlete struggles with mental health, to be honest with you. As do I, think, I so I'm glad, yeah. But I just... I. I think most of them don't speak about it. And it's funny you mentioned this because I've had my own mental struggles. You've had yours. I know your father had his. I've, I've done a lot of reading before this interview. Absolutely. And for me personally, the biggest problem was that growing up, I attached my self-worth to soccer. 
and you can maybe relate, but my email growing up was soccersam99 at hotmail.com. Mine's, mine was BG United fan, Manchester United, <laughs> so I can relate, man. I'm sure can. <laughs> yeah, right? And I'm sure your dad had a similar one too if they had email back then. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm thinking my whole life, Sam is a soccer player and the value he can provide the world is through the sport. Sam is a soccer player and the value he can provide the world comes through this sport. Not only did I believe that, but everyone else in my life reinforced that thought. My aunts, oh my God, Sam, you're so amazing. You're going to Italy at 13 years old. You're going to be a pro soccer player. My teachers, Sam, you're such an incredible athlete. Make sure you focus on your grades though, but keep going with soccer. You're going somewhere. My friends all saw me as the kid who didn't drink alcohol, didn't party. Why? Because he was going to be a pro soccer player. And so not only I am I reinforced with this, continue. Yeah. I'm reinforcing the fact that I'm a soccer player. Everyone exterior to me is reinforcing the fact that I'm a soccer player. And so with the moment when I can't play soccer anymore, then the equation that I asked myself was, Sam is a soccer player and what value does he have to provide the world? And I couldn't fill the, I couldn't fill the void. I couldn't answer the question right away. And so for a good three months, I just sat in my bed, didn't talk to many people, cried a lot, went through surgeries and it, it was a it was a depression. I just didn't label it that before. Talk to people who talk to the people who don't know about the pressure that is put on you when whether it be for better or for worse, there are hundreds of people who know what you're trying to achieve. Aunts, friends, family, all of that sort of stuff. Talk to me about the pressure that that puts on you because I know it. Yeah. And you probably know more than I do because you even feel like you have shoes to fill. And I, I felt like I had shoes to fill, although my dad played a different sport. I couldn't imagine if my dad was a, a professional soccer player for Manchester United. But what I can tell you is that like my family, God bless their souls, because most people, they don't even realize they're putting the pressure on you. In fact, when you're healthy and fit and they tell you, Sam, you're going to be a pro soccer player. To a degree, it's actually taken as encouragement. But the moment you have an injury, everything they ever said just reinforces how much of a piece of shit you are. That's what it felt like for me. It was just like, wow, everyone told me I was going to be this. And now I, I, now I can't make it happen. What am I? What am I? I'm, I'm worthless. And so Because nobody knows that you're anything else, right? Yeah, nobody knows exactly. that you're anything else. I can't imagine I don't even, feeling. I don't even know that I'm anything else at that point in time. I mean, like, it, it, you train your whole life to do one thing. And most most people who go and play Division One sports or pro soccer literally neglect their education. They say, "Oh, I'm going to get a degree in sports management, and if soccer doesn't work out, I'll figure it out." But it's it's on the back burner. So you literally set yourself up, and if you don't fall in that zero point zero four percent that play pro, you're going to have the breakdown. You're going to have the the identity crisis, not knowing who you are. So. I mean, I would love to know your opinion. How did, how did you feel pressure? I think, there's a, I, I think there's a natural pressure, and I'm sure you felt this as well. I think there's a natural pressure regardless of whether those people in your life are positive or negative. Yep. You don't know. In fact, you do know that they don't know whether you're into anything else because your whole life from the moment where you couldn't even speak for yourself four, five, six years old where your parents and people around you were telling other people that you want to be a professional soccer player. So by the time that you can speak for yourself, it's so ingrained in everybody else that this is your goal and this is your dream and this is what you want to do. That even if your mindset shifts or you have these change of goals or in your head you doubt it or in your case an injury prevents that, you feel so trapped at times because now there's this circle that's ever growing of people that want you to succeed or even maybe in some people's cases want you to fail but regardless of whether it's positive or negative the pressure is like wow um, am i letting so am i letting all these people down by not doing that if i don't do that like like to your point am i am i nobody am i am i nothing anymore like can i can i reinvigorate my life and and the only way that i found i, I still play obviously but but i have passions in other areas now and the only way that I found these areas to be acceptable amongst other people was one through social media was to be able to change people's opinions of me by consistent approach on social media in other areas and two was to simply experience that hardship of 
and have those serious conversations with those that I was closest to, my dad, my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents, because I'd let it build up so much that like, if I don't do this, they're gonna not like me or they won't even like talk to me anymore because all they know is me as a soccer player. But the weight that gets off your shoulders when you have those meaningful conversations with people is is unbelievable because you realize how much they actually they just they just love you for who you are not not because you're a soccer player not because you you could go to prison not because whatever they just love you for for the person you are you know it's true man it's very true i even remember conversations i had with my dad and i remember him even distinctly telling me like sam i really enjoyed watching you play like it was one of the highlights of my life i used to continue to live my athletic dreams through you yeah. right but he told me, he said, I don't care if you play sports or don't play sports. Son, do what makes you happy. And I just took it to the extreme, right? I did things that he didn't like, <laughs> but <laughs> it made me happy, man. And to yeah. this day, it still makes him happy. So at the end of the day, even if your parents disagree with your decisions right now, they're not going to have to live with the decisions you make. You're going to have to live with them. So choose what, what suits you best. I think just being honest and true to, true to that out loud can help massively with anxiety and i think there's a, if there's a lesson that you and i could probably both teach to to people maybe aspiring athletes or aspiring people in any venture that they're in if you're honest about it with the people closest to you when you don't want to do that anymore or when you can't do that anymore and have those serious conversations i think the anxiety and the stress and the sadness all goes away it's when you don't and you bottle that up that yeah. i i think that in every from what I've experienced, in every form of anxiety, the main source and the root of it is that you bottle it all up and you don't speak. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But anyway, we're on the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast, not the Anxiety podcast. So let's pivot a little bit and touch <laughs> and touch on here the mindset that you think comes from athletics and how you attribute that to business. I could tee this up so easily. So... I'm in the youth speaking industry and I don't even want to say youth speak. I'm in the youth empowerment industry relating to training youth, teaching youth, inspiring youth, mentoring youth. Almost all the work I do is with youth. There's a gentleman from the US. His name is Josh Ship, and he runs the largest youth speaking agency in the world. It's called Top Youth Speakers. It's a boutique bureau, meaning they have about 10 to 12 speakers that they book an insane amount of speeches to every single year. And he actually approached me uh, January and I turned him down because it was a 10 year exclusive contract, meaning you're locked in for 10 years. For some people, it's a good fit for me. That's not the way I'm wired. And I started asking myself, why, why am I not wired for this 10 year contract? He was, he was, he was guaranteeing me over a hundred thousand USD per year. And he was guaranteeing me book deals, potential TV shows. He's been on Oprah himself. He had his own TV show. He's written multiple best-selling books. He's, He's the face of the youth speaking world to some degree. And what I realized was, as I grew up as an athlete, every time I wanted to improve or get better, there was only one way to do it. I take a soccer ball, I go to a soccer field, and I kick the ball. And if I want my kick to improve, I have to kick it more and more and more. There was never a moment in my soccer career where someone could come up to me and say, hey, kid, sign your life away to me. Drink this cup of water every single day. Have this blue pill. And 10 years from now, you're going to be the best soccer player on this planet. I promise you that. There is no shortcuts in any sort of physical transformation if you want it to be real, lasting, and natural. So when I see someone who's in the speaking world, in business, um, who's an athlete, the correlation that I think I see uh, almost always is that they understand their progress is in relation to their consistent actions day in and day out, doing the thing that might be difficult uh, all the time. And, and just to kind of make this a round picture here, here's the funniest part. Josh Ship used to play division one baseball and he owns the agency and not one of his speakers not one of them has played professional or D1 sports. So I even thought the athletic mindset wouldn't even want to sign a 10-year contract that's exclusive because they're so wired to not rely on other people, but to rely on themselves. But because he's the, he's the D1 baseball player, he's the guy running the show and running the agency, not the guy speaking on it. Um, so that's the biggest correlation that I find in sports, to be honest with you. Yeah. Wow. And such a, that's unbelievable, by the way, and such a cool mindset and the way, the fact that you even looked more deeply into it to see 
the background of everything the people involved i think is is another lesson that people can learn like don't just jump at opportunity because the money's there you're offered a hundred thousand dollars a year but i think it speaks to your true purpose and knowing your true purpose in the in the respect that you know you're worth more than that you know you mm. can do bigger things than that and while maybe now that might be more money than than you're earning i don't know whether it is or it isn't but knowing where you're going and having that clear path i think is such a such a unique thing in this world do you attribute that massively to why you said no and to why you've made every decision you've made up to now this is half the reason for sure i mean growing up as an athlete you're taught this it's it's a part of the sport there is no shortcut to getting a better shot there is no shortcut to getting faster to getting stronger unless you cheat and take steroids but that was never a choice and that was never something i desired so this is how I've been raised. That's definitely a piece of it. The other piece was, it just didn't feel right. I got on the phone call. He, he gave me the opportunity and my gut just went and shriveled up. And I tried for three weeks to, to talk to people, to figure out whether or not I should do this or don't do this. And at the end of the day, it was a mix of my own values towards improvement, towards growth. And it was also a mix of, of how I truly felt, meaning my gut reaction. So those are the two main things that prompted me to make the choice. And also, I mentioned earlier, I made decisions that my parents don't agree with. There's a second one for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of sports, in terms of business, in terms of, I think there's so many things that people don't realize that, that correlate to not just what you're speaking about and the mindset but adversity decision making giving it everything you've got to to win not not in sport but win in life i think is an incredible lesson you add adversity in sport i genuinely believe you need adversity in some form of your life in order to succeed i'm so grateful that i've had it in sport i'm so grateful that i've had it so early on do you attribute adversity to to your success now how do you see adversity in in the world as a whole i cherish it now like looking back there's a there's a steve jobs quote that says you cannot you cannot connect the dots looking forwards you can only connect them looking backwards so when you're in the midst of an adverse situation your immediate response is going to be man this sucks this really sucks i don't see the end of the tunnel i don't know why i'm going through this but when you get out the other side and you look back it always seems to make sense there's a guy who I'm sure you know named David Goggins who went through an incredible, just horrific, horrific upbringing in childhood and is now the strongest and hardest man in the world. And it's only because of his adversity. I even look at people who have not gone through difficult situations and I think that they're a lot mentally weaker, meaning they will give up sooner, they will quit sooner, they will not try harder, they will they will make it more excuses. I think that adversity is a gift. I think failure is a gift because there's not one person on this planet who decides to start something and on the first try is 100% successful. So that means that at some point in their, their journey, they're going to hit a failure. That is adversity. That is a setback. The choice you make in regards to that situation allows you to grow. So if you do hit adversity, congratulations, because what you're actually figuring out is an iteration. It is an iteration that must be had for you to move to the next level or move forward. Here's a perfect example. Amen. In speaking, I was doing really well. I, I started this in March of 2019. In March of 2020, COVID hit. So on my one year anniversary of starting my own business, COVID hit. I lost 30 speaking gigs in the span of two weeks that were all booked for 2020 and 2021. All my traction that was going to look like a doubling in revenue from my first year completely just fell off the map. And I took a seat down at my desk and for two weeks I moped and I whined. This is me hitting huge adversity in business. And then after two weeks, I snapped out of it and I asked myself, what do I need to learn? What new abilities do I have to develop? What new skills do I have to learn? So that if this ever happened again, if COVID happened in 2025, I would not get the same result. And I wrote down two things on a sheet of paper, learn how to use click funnels and learn how to create an online program. And in the span of two months, I launched something called the high performing student which is a self-development program for young people. It teaches a lot of soft skills like vision creation, goal setting, weekly planning, daily planning, setting up accountability relationships with friends. I do live Q and A's in a private Facebook group. Now that program 
is an actual business. Speaking in and of itself is freelance work. You get paid when you're on a stage, but if you're not on a stage, you don't get paid, which means you can't feed a family if COVID's happening, unless you do it virtually. But because of this situation, because of the adversity of COVID, it forced me to sit down and build an online program. There's now 191 people in the course. I'm building the second version right now based on the feedback I got from the first cohort. And I can promise you this is going to be the best thing that happened to me because I may not have created this program until I was 30 years old if COVID didn't hit. And by that point in time, maybe I do have my first child. Maybe I am married and maybe I do go into a huge financial stressful situation because I didn't address this, this whole fact that my business was based on one stream of income when I was 20 years old. So for everyone listening, if you didn't listen to that or you simply don't have a brain, this is what you should get from that. If you're experiencing adversity right now, be thankful. If you're young, if you're old, whatever it may be, adversity is a part of life. Every single guest we've had on, Sam is talking about it now, has had enormous adversity to go through. If you're experiencing adversity, this is coming from me who's experienced it big time. This is coming from Sam who's experienced it big time. This is coming from Gavin. This is coming from every single person, Pascal. This is coming from Sam. Every single person that we've had on, adversity is a part of your life. Embrace it, love it, and it speaks as well to fall in love with the process, not the end goal. How have you been able to, Sam, fall in love with the process and love everything you do? Because it seems like you fell almost into public speaking rather than it coming to you, but you're an incredible public speaker. You've now done two TEDx speeches. How did that speaking stuff even come about in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. You mentioned at the beginning of this podcast in a very slow, beautiful tone of voice, <laughs> small, consistent actions. <laughs> and I tried to imitate you there, but I'm really bad at it. I apologize. No, good, good. You're the manifester of those three words, so go for it. Yeah, so I'm sitting in my class at the age of 17 after my first surgery, and I was a great student, but the main reason why I was a great student, because I thought if I had great grades, it would give me a better shot at getting a D1 scholarship. Besides that, I didn't really care much for, for classical education. Yep. That's a whole different podcast. But <laughs> We will the, talk about that. Yeah. The main lesson I took away from this teacher, his name was Mike Loudfoot. It was a world issues class was that if you want to change something in your life, if you want to make a difference, if you want to make the world a better place, if you want to be a pro athlete, take a small consistent action. And the reason he came to this conclusion, this statement was by breaking down the lives of figures in history who have massively changed the world. He was focused on social issues. So it was people like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, Gloria Steinem, Michelle Obama, right? This long list of people. And it just hit me because I couldn't play sports. I could no longer play soccer. And my teacher is telling me this principle that if I want to change my life, I have to take a small action consistently. And I'm 17 at the time. I'm telling myself, you know what? This seems very attainable. Most of the time when people speak about making a change or a difference, you have to get an MBA, spend $100,000, write a best-selling book and do all this stuff before you can seriously impact someone or make a change. And so my dominating belief was I'm too young or I have to do this before I can start. <laughs> Fist bump, I love it. Fist bump, and, <laughs> and I left class that day asking myself as a 17 year old kid, what small action can I take? And it sounds really funny, but we started, I started picking up trash, walking home from school. What part of your insane brain made you think that picking up waste outside of school on the street on the way home from school was going to be this small consistent action that would turn into what is now pick waste. So remember after soccer, I'm asking myself, what can Sam provide to the world? What value can Sam provide? I had no absolute answer to that question. So walking home from school, I just had this question in my head, asking myself over and over again, what small action can I take? And as I'm walking, asking myself this, a coffee cup blows on the sidewalk. And this sounds very weird and funny. And it sounds like some mythical story. Yeah. Coffee cup blows across the sidewalk and it just hits me. I'm like, there is trash all over the sidewalk when I walk home. Why not just pick it up? I was not an environmentalist. I did not want to change the world. I just wanted to test my teacher's principle. And I had no other practical, simple way to do so. In fact, I would even say that picking up garbage was lazy because I didn't even have to leave the sidewalk. It was, it was right there. I didn't have to go out of my way to pick it up. So I started bringing bags with me to school and filling them with trash. And 
four months later, five days before summer break, my good buddy Dylan sees me. He's like, Sam, this is awesome. We have to do something with this. We start an organization called Pick Waste because we live in Pickering. We pick up trash. It's yeah. some good marketing. <laughs> Great marketing. And we just start going out every Saturday morning for one hour as our small, consistent action to pick up garbage. And that that over the span of two years led to a national you know, national initiative called Pick Waste. We've started four different volunteer teams in four different cities now. We filled over 1,600 bags of trash. That's what got us invited to do our own TEDx talks, both of us individually. And then through the TEDx talk, through the, the publication on national news here in Canada, we started getting invited from principals to come share our story with their students because we were one, relatable due to our age, two, had a story that was inspiring, and three, were encouraging students to do things that benefited others, that, that were calls to service. And so it immediately caught, caught on. And we did about 40 free presentations. My friend was still in school. I was taking a fifth year at this point in time, so I did almost all the presentations. I remember when I first started, I was speaking in my shower with a G-Shock watch, timing myself because it's waterproof. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what got, got me started in speaking. After doing those 40 free presentations, just to recruit volunteers for our organization, I had a principal give me 150 bucks and say, Sam, that was amazing. You deserve this. We usually pay people a lot more money than this. And here you go. And I remember I was super, super excited. And that was it, man. That was history. That that led me to discover the world of youth speaking, and I, I haven't stopped since. I'm fascinated by people's belief in how their goals come about. Did you ever foresee what has come from you just picking up trash on the side of the street? Did you ever foresee this coming from it, or did you just simply believe in this teacher, Michael Loudfoot, said small consistent actions so i'm gonna just do that every day until something just magically appears i literally thought that two months after i started i'd walk back into his office and say sir you're an idiot <laughs> you know nothing's changed i've picked up a couple bags of garbage i appreciate your lesson I, I had no intention to speak i had no intention to pick up trash i had no intention to start businesses i had no intention to do absolutely anything until I started to catch a glimpse of my own potential by taking a small action, that's when everything started to change. And being an athlete growing up already made me ambitious and motivated to, to, to get results, to win, because business is also a competition. Absolutely, it is. And yeah, it was, it was history from there. But to answer your question, absolutely not. I had no intention. I had no premonition that anything was going to come from it. I just wanted to see if he was correct. Let's talk about him then. Let's talk about Michael Loudfoot. I don't know if you've been asked this before. I'm fascinated by by the the thought of you can learn something from every single person. Most people would think, "Oh, you're just a teacher. What do you know? Like I can't I can't learn from you. Like have you done it? No, you're not Gandhi. You're just talking about Gandhi. You you're not you haven't done it." So most people, and I was I've been a culprit of this in the past as well. Um you think you can only learn from those who have made it where you want to go. But after listening to these people that I've spoken to, listening a little, uh, diving deeper, sorry, into your story, and also just simply reading books and understanding and putting myself out there in this journey, every single person you can, you can learn from. And this teacher, this teacher that nobody else maybe even thought of or gave two seconds to, or gave the time to even listen to, changed your life. Where do you see this 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 thought or this understanding of of taking a little bit from every human? It's a great it's a great question. This is a great point. I'll say the reason that I listened to Mike and took his message to heart was because he was one of the few teachers who I felt actually cared about what he was teaching. I think passion is a huge, huge, huge factor of influence. If you want to influence someone and you're speaking to them, but you're not passionate about it, you will not gain any influence over that person. The, the person who is the most certain in a conversation is always going to influence the other person. If someone is undecided about something and you come in and you are clear and you are very passionate about one side, they're most likely going to start to agree with you. Even if they disagree in public, they will agree with you in private. I promise you. They just disagree because they don't want their ego to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Mike convinced me 
because he got up in front of us on the first day of school and said, don't believe anything I ever tell you. If something I say makes you interested or curious, go home and verify the facts yourself. In that moment, light bulb went off in my head and I'm telling myself, this is not your average teacher. This is a very interesting guy. And so I sat near his desk and throughout the semester, I would ask Mike questions. Hey, Mike, do you read books? Yeah, I have a huge library. I love reading about history. Hey, Mike, where do you live? I live in this house by a farm. Hey, Mike, what do you do on your spare time in the summer? I tear down barns with my son. Hey, Mike. And I just consistently just bug Mike, ask Mike questions, ask him this, ask him that, learn lots about him. And I kid you not, he was the most quirky, most funny, most out there teacher you'd ever meet in your entire life. But he cared about what he spoke about. He would get up in front of us, not only tell us, you know, don't believe anything I ever tell you, but he'd get up in front of us and literally cry, not cry like from his eyes, but he would cry out to us saying, you have the potential to make a difference. You are the largest demographic here in this country. You know, growing up, you have the power, vote, do this. And he was just so passionate about us taking action that it rubbed off on me. Uh, but the, the mentality of learning from every person you meet though, did not come from Mike Loudfoot. It came from Tony Robbins. I heard Tony Robbins say this before. And this is maybe a long time ago when I used to listen to a lot of his podcasts. I still do to this day. I can't remember exactly when it was, but he was on a show and he was talking about the fact that you could learn from anyone you ever meet, no matter who they are. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why is because although you might be superior in digital marketing or soccer, they might be superior in cooking, right? They might be superior in dancing salsa or bachata. Yeah. That means you could learn something from that person. They're Absolutely. always going to be superior. Even if it's a janitor, they're superior in cleaning than you are. And the, 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 the thing that got to me the most was that even if they teach you what not to do by their actions, you're still learning from another person. 150 so, million percent. Yeah. 150 million percent. And I was going to touch on that when you initially started speaking. Positive or negative, whether they whine or they speak success, whether they're your biggest mentor because they've achieved unbelievable success or they earn 30 grand a year and hate life. There's something to learn, I think, from every single story. And so I think that's an incredible, incredible message. Um, so <laughs> you are obviously different than everybody else in the way you got into public speaking. Did you like it at first? Were you nervous at first? Were, were you even good at first? <laughs> I have a video on my YouTube channel titled From Terrible Speaker to TEDx Speaker. And... I sucked. The first video that I was ever taken of me was on a phone. I will tell you that the only thing I had going for me, which is something that I luckily acquired through sport was passion, right? That's the one thing. And lucky enough, that's probably the most important ingredient. Passion is probably the most important thing because if you're not passionate about it, no one else is going to care. And in fact, I had a, I had a call today. I booked a speech October 28th with a bunch of seniors. Yeah. And the guy who booked me saw me speak last year at an event for youth. And on the phone, I asked him, Robert, I said, why did you choose me over any other speaker you could have booked? He said, Sam, when I saw you speak last year, I swear you could have been talking about paper towel and I still would have been interested in what you had to say. So although I might've sucked when I initially started, you could hear in my voice that I cared about what I was speaking about. Absolutely. And so was I nervous? Absolutely. Did I suck? Absolutely. Did I care more about the message than I did about what I looked like? That's the key. I didn't really care what I looked like. I didn't really care if my armpits were full of sweat. To this day, I sweat when I speak, always. It's not a factor of nerves. It's just a natural reaction to the body, putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. If you look at it from a, an evolution perspective, and now I can't speak on this to a great degree because I don't know much about it, but from what I've read, uh, putting yourself out in front of hundreds or even sometimes thousands of people to share your opinion and advice is a sort to it's some sort of isolation almost you're you're isolating yourself from everyone else you're putting yourself on almost like a a higher pedestal to share your opinions and your ideas it's a very uncomfortable thing to do and and, and back thousands of years ago you know if you stood up and and there's someone who runs the the town and you stand up and you try and share your thoughts and opinions you're probably going to get killed so from like an evolution standpoint it's not a comfortable thing to do either so I'm always nervous. Even to this day, the moment I stop being nervous is the moment I should stop speaking because that just means I don't care about the result. The moment you stop being nervous as an athlete is simply because you don't care if you lose 5-0 or if you win 10-0. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Where do you see age? Because I'm sure you've stood in front of people double your age, triple your age even. Yeah. Where do you see age in terms of you get up on the stage, these people have lived three times the life that you've lived. They've maybe experienced so much more than you've experienced. 
how do you approach the speeches without coming across like I'm claiming to know more than you? I just don't use the word I. This is the problem. So most people will do an entire presentation. I did this. I did that. When I tell my story about overcoming adversity with soccer, here's how I start it. Just imagine you're 17 years old and you're chasing your dream to play pro soccer. You were 13 years old when you lived in Italy for six months training with 30 international athletes. You literally sacrificed everything in your life, including partying, drugs, alcohol, so you could have this dream become a reality. And so instead of me using the word I, I use the word you. So every time I say the word you, the audience automatically depicts themselves in my story. Now, it doesn't come off as me preaching. It comes off as them being a part of my journey. Now, the interesting thing is that no other person on this planet will have the exact same journey as I do. So despite the fact that they're 90 years old sometimes, despite the fact that they might make 10 times as much money as me, they'll never have the exact same story. And if I tell it in a way that invites them in to experience it, like a first person story, they're going to love it just as much as I love telling it. And it was honestly a hard switch to make because the natural thing to do is to tell all your stories from the perspective of I. But an easy way to change that is to start your story with just imagine. And then every word you, sh- every word you say afterwards can start with the word you. And now they're always going to be a part of your story. That's such an incredible thing. I can't believe that. That's so. Did you learn that as you went? Did somebody tell you that? Was there mentors? Maybe this is where we can pivot into mentors that you had. Yep. Was that a learned skill? Yeah, Josh Shipp. So the same guy that I turned down on the 10-year agency is the same guy that I invested like $10,000 into and probably learned the most about speaking that I ever did. And that's what also made it such a difficult decision to turn him down. But aside from him, like I could tell you hands down, I learned the most from him. He has a program, it's called Youth Speaker University. I bought that uh, back when I was 18 and it, it taught me the most, the most that I know about the business and the craft of speaking. Aside from him, CAPS, the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, that's a network of professional speakers in Canada. They have an annual convention every single year. Everyone in the room is making at least 50 grand or more every single year speaking. Now, I don't consider that a lot of money, but yeah. most of them are making multiple six figures, some of them making seven, eight figures speaking. So there's so much to learn in that room. I, I have a mentor named Cody Shun. I have a mentor named Alvin Brown. I have a mentor named Chris Cummins, the guy that I paid also to coach me $27,000. I have I have mentors that aren't even alive. I consider books mentors. Nishobo is a mentor. Now he doesn't speak on stages, but he speaks through a podcast and that is his stage. So. I'm also, again, of the mindset that I can learn, I can learn from everyone I meet, but formalized mentors, the most people who helped me the most, Josh Ship, Chris Cummins, Cody Shue, and hands down, those three people have, have been like foundational pillars in my success. What would you say, Sam, to somebody who you're a little bit different because you had a business that led into your speaking career naturally? What would you say to someone who is not in the public speaking game yet? but mm-hmm. wants to get into the public speaking game, where do you start? Who do you want to speak to? What do you want What do you want them to take away from your presentation? Meaning what problem of theirs do you want to solve? And how are you going to deliver it? Because speaking can happen in many different ways. You can be a YouTube speaker. You can be a keynote speaker. You can be a podcast speaker. You can be an Instagram live speaker. Speaking is a form of sharing ideas. I don't care if you write. I don't care if you podcast. I don't care if you stand on a stage. All those things I consider speaking or sharing ideas. So decide who you want to speak to because most messages cannot be shared with everyone. I, I have a message that can technically be molded to most audiences but I still niche market myself to youth because if you don't like it's in, it's in every business, the smaller you can niche yourself down to a specific group of people, the more they are going to feel your audience that you are talking directly to them. The broader you are, the harder it is to relate with the harder it is to relate to your audience. So the first step, choose who you're speaking to. The second step, choose what problem you're qualified to solve or what problem you want to learn to solve for that specific audience member and then decide how you want to do it, what through what platform. 
And then after you've done those three steps, which I'll be honest with you, take a lot longer than most people think. It's not easy to decide who. It's not easy to decide what you want to share. It's not easy to decide what your stories are going to be that lead up to those points that prove the problem you're trying to solve. But once you get through all that mental work and figure it all out, then you speak for free. And you speak for free as many times as you have to before people start to tell you, wow, that was freaking amazing. And someone in the crowd starts standing up. If like you get one person to stand up, two people to stand up. Once you've done that, you can then take all the free gigs that you've done. Make sure you videotape every single one of them. Make sure you get testimonials from every client who you spoke for for free. Then you build a website and you put up there, you put up the testimonials, you take all the videos you took, you mash them all together into a demo reel, which is like highlight. It's like a highlight reel for a speaker. Same way it's a highlight reel for a soccer player. You put up your goals, you put up your best lines in your speeches, right? You mash it all together. Then you put all the testimonials, the reviews, the demo reel, a contact form, and you start selling speeches. That's, that's the main path into paid speaking. It's not as easy as everyone thinks to get paid simply to speak. And the reason being is because there is no barriers to entry. We can leave this phone call right now. And your, your tech guy who's listening might be like, damn, this is a brilliant idea. I'm going to go home and be a speaker. And he can build a website on the spot. He can go on Wix, put his name as the logo. He can put about and then put his biography, put a speaking page, put some topics, make a, make a contact form and start cold calling schools and selling himself as a speaker. It's the easiest industry to get into, but it is the hardest industry to stay in. And the reason it's the hardest industry to stay in is because when you do one terrible performance, every single conference organizer talks, every single school principal talks. So if you're not good, but you're charging money, you're, you're, you're going to burn and crash very quickly. So in speaking, I always tell people, don't charge money until you know you can deliver on what you're charging. Because if you overcharge, the client does not have a good experience and they don't, they don't recommend you. And in fact, if anyone ever asks them about you, they're going to have negative thoughts. Wow, mic drop. <laughs> um, what about in COVID? It's all virtual, right? I mean, I was showing you a little bit about my setup. I can't really unplug my laptop and walk forward and show you, but I have a light over here. I got a light over here. We got a nice microphone, a little pop filter. Yeah. Quality is important. If you're going to continue selling speeches, quality is very important. What I'm working on right now is getting a three camera setup. So there is a software called Ecamm Live and it allows you to stream speeches to a private location. It also allows your Zoom conversations for you to like literally go like this and the image would pop up right here on my Zoom call. Right? It costs 20 bucks a month and you can set up three camera angles, have a little clicker and switch uh, from what angle the audience is seeing you from. So it's like there's different, there's a diff, they can like look at you from different angles. That's so cool. Um, yeah, so it's all about providing that same experience. And I'll actually add one more thing. The, the speech that I booked today that I told you about earlier with these seniors, get this. He called me up and he said, Sam, we have about 60 seniors who don't have access to, te to technology. So we're doing a teleconference, meaning it's all through the phone. Like all these seniors call a specific number. And then I, I literally grab my phone, go like this, and I deliver my speech into my cell phone. And they just listened to it. And I still sold it. Like I still sold it like a regular speech. Wow. So if, if, if you are filling a void, if you are filling a void or solving a problem, it comes down to this again. It doesn't matter how you're delivering it. I don't care if you're delivering it through click funnels, through a sales page, giving away some program. I don't care if you're delivering it through a podcast. I don't care if you're delivering it through a YouTube video. If it is solving a problem, someone will pay you for it. End of story. Absolutely. Now, Speaking from a personal standpoint, I feel like I'm building an audience here. I don't have, I've got what, I think 4,000 something followers at the moment, continuing to grow as we go. I feel like the, the audience that I have are loyal because speaking about the passion that we talked about, there's passion behind it, there's a purpose, there's a story, there's a history of adversity, there's signing a pro contract, there's so many things that come into it that I think people can learn from. You have similar stories in those aspects. I think a lot of people think that they have to have 100,000 followers on social media or they need to have a certain amount in order to build an audience or in order to start. You have got a course with, with how many people in? 191 students. 191 so students in so far. And you only have, what, I think 1,000 more followers than I do. 
Yeah. Where do you and feel I... that that stems from? That that loyal audience is that from just your speaking gigs? Is that from the loyalty that you've built, speaking face to face with people one on one? Where do you feel that's come from? Well, I'll be honest with you. Almost uh, two thirds of my sales for my course didn't even come through social media. So. I think when people think about social media, they put it on this high pedestal. Almost all my sales came from me picking up the phone and calling school boards. Like I sold a package of 50 to the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. They haven't seen me speak. I sold another 50 to the Northeastern Catholic District School Board, which is eight hours north of my house. They haven't seen me speak. What did you say so, to them? I mean, I could take you through the whole process, but I film a 10 minute video walking them through my program. So I, I, I record my screen on Zoom and I say, hey, Michelle, what's up? My name's Sam Demma. I know you're really busy, so let me keep this really quick. I have a PowerPoint right on one on one slide and I go through it. It's really funny because one picture of my hair is a mess and I'm like, oh, this is what I look like during COVID. This is what I look like now with my haircut. I make the client laugh a little bit. And then I get right to the point. Look, here's what I created. It's a program. Here's the mission. Help students lay the foundation for their future success. Here's how we do it. I hear, here's the back end. Here's the user experience. Here's the private Facebook group. Here's what they have access to. Here's who I am. If this sounds interesting, let's have another phone call. And that's, that's how it's went so far. And I stopped selling after I got to about 190 because I want to now take feedback from all the kids. I want to make sure they all go through the entire thing, finish it because I can track all their progress. And after they finish, I have them fill out a, a survey and then I'm going to take all the feedback based on the first 191 and build what the students actually want because I did not ask them, Hey, what do you want me to build? I just went out and created it. How um, long did it take you to create this first one? Two months, but that two months includes me learning how to use click funnels, learning how to use teachable, filming all the content, coming up with the content, creating the PDFs. Uh, I literally stayed up. I didn't sleep much for the, the two months after COVID hit because I was really stressed out due to the loss of speaking. And I didn't know if speaking was still going to be a thing. I was telling myself a really negative story. Yeah. But this next version of the program is probably going to take me four months, five months. I'm not going to put a timeline on it because who knows, it might even happen quicker. But it's going to be three times as long. And what's actually really cool, which I'll tell you in a second, it's going to be two times as long. It's going to have a t-shirt that I shipped to your house, a workbook that I shipped to your house. It's going to have mentors. So imagine, for example, I said, yo, Billy, I want you to be a high performing student advisor. One student can reach out to you once a month and you have one 30 minute phone call. Would you be down? If you're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to make a, like a collection of youth mentors for the people going through the program that they can reach out to and have conversations with. So there's lots of like brand new ideas based on what students told me. I'm going to have better audio. I'm going to film it in a studio. Um, it's going to take way longer to create. But the one thing that I was going to tell you was, um, I forgot. <laughs> That's getting straight on TikTok. That is funny. Yeah. That's right. If you remember it, you remember it. But yeah, no, that's incredible. So yeah. I think to everybody, there's a lesson. I like to tie everything down to a lesson. And I think the lesson learned there, you don't have to build an active audience on online. You can build an audience offline still as well. And and I think another thing that, that people need to understand is that don't fake who you are online your online presence can only really be built if you are who you say you are offline yep. and you've been able to to create an unbelievable personal brand offline which is starting to resonate online through your courses now after covid's hit through your zoom sessions through through instagram and social media don't try and go about it the wrong way by telling people you do something or you're an expert at something that you're not because it'll only catch up to you and it all ties down it all comes full circle here to what we talked about about passion you cannot truly be passionate about something you don't know yeah you need to experience it you need to go through it you need to you need to have that face-to-face -face experience and first-hand experience of whatever you're trying to tell. Don't talk about anxiety and adversity if you haven't experienced it. Don't try and tell somebody how to grow their social media if you've never done it. Don't tell somebody how to grow a business if you've never done it. Don't tell somebody how to do public speaking and how to book your first public speaking gig if you haven't done it. That's why I'm getting these people on because I'm trying to learn from those who've done what they've been able to do. And so that's an incredible testament. He's been he's been able to now host a course, but first he did what he's hosting a course on. Do and then teach. Sam, if you've got anything else for me here, 
I uh, I think we could have about twenty seven podcasts on on the things we've talked about, the things we have in common. Yeah. But um, I don't know if you've got anything to close it out here. What would you say to somebody who's who's aspiring to be something? And I'm gonna keep it that general. Who's aspiring to be something? believe in yourself i think the most important thing is that when people don't believe in your vision you have to see it even when others don't because for speaking from personal experience i've had multiple scenarios where people have disagreed with my decisions i i stopped playing soccer i had people disagree i dropped out of university i had people disagree i turned down josh ship i had people disagree i yeah i've made some very harsh decisions but i see my vision and i'm still happy and excited about it regardless of what other people think and because of it, I'm making progress. So believe in yourself and paint a paint a picture of a vision that inspires you to get out of bed every single day and just attack it because that's what keeps me going when things get difficult and tough. Absolutely. Outside influence is the killer of all success. That's what we're learning from our guests, especially when you don't have a clear vision in your head. You can let other people influence you if you know where you're going, but if you don't know where you're going and you're letting other people tell you what to do, outside influence is the killer. Sam, I know we said you don't want to, you don't necessarily need to have this big social following, but I'm going to promote you anyway. Where can people find you? Yeah, the the simplest place is on Instagram, just Sam underscore Demma, and my last name spelled D-E-M-M-A. Sam, thank you so much. Everybody else, if you're young and want to book speaking gigs, if you want to, if you want to simply be great from a young age, Sam is the guy to go to. Go check out his course as well. To everybody else, give me a follow at Billy Garton Jr. Make sure you subscribe to the Inspiring Young Aspirers podcast. We need to know. We need to know what you think of what is going on here. We are having some incredible conversations with people who've been unbelievable, unbelievably successful. They've done it before they've been able to teach it. And we are manifesting this journey from minute one. I've said it once. I've said it twice. I've said it a million times. We're going to the top. We're going to the very, very top. And we can only do that if you're with us, if you're right alongside us. So stay tuned. Thanks again to Sam. We'll be back soon.